Some years ago, John Paul II um, declared that the second Sunday of Easter would also be a celebration of divine mercy. And no doubt, the, one, of the, uh, one of the reasons for this, he could have picked numerous Sundays, but um, because of the connection between the celebration of Easter, the forgiveness of sins, and also, I'm sure, this gospel that is read on the second Sunday of Easter. Remember the scene, right? The, the disciples were locked in this room. And it says, for fear of the Jews, they're, they're, on one hand, they're, they're afraid they might be next, right? They've seen their teacher, their leader uh, crucified and killed. So they're afraid for their lives. That's true. It's also true that in their Lord's hour of need, they were failures, right? One of them betrayed him. And although he's not with them in the upper room, there's still no doubt amongst them, there's gotta be some element of, how did we not see that coming, you know? How did we not protect our Lord from Judas? What did we miss? How do we allow that to happen? And Peter himself, right, denied the Lord three times, which is an incredible, an incredible failure. In that moment when, when the Lord is, is being brought before Pilate, right, he denies his Lord three times. And then the all but John deserted Jesus when he was on the cross. There were failures, right? So they're, they're also in this room. The door is locked, and the, the, the locked door also is not just about fear, but it's also about this sort of alienation from God. You know, they've sinned against God. They've alienated themselves from God because of, because of their sins, because of their lack of being able to just be with the Lord, right? They didn't even bury him, for goodness sakes. A stranger had to bury their Lord. So Jesus comes into that in his resurrected body. He comes through the doors, right? He's no, no longer encumbered by, by the physical limitations of space, right? He's in his resurrected body. He comes through the doors. And what is the first thing he says? Peace be with you. And this expression of peace is an expression that means I have come to reconcile myself to you. Be reconciled to me. Right? Be, let your hearts be at peace even though you failed me. Even though some of you sinned against me. I am reconciling you to myself. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he says it again. Peace be with you. And then, right, and this is an act of mercy. And then he says, he breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit, right? They, they have in this moment their Pentecost. He breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. And he sends them to forgive others in his name or to retain sin in his name. But he sends them out to be merciful just as he has been merciful with them. So first he gives his disciples mercy and then he sends them out to be merciful. Now, what is mercy? 
What is, I mean, we all have a sense of what it means to be merciful, but mercy is at least this. When a person has authority over another and has every right to dole out a legitimate punishment, chooses to either give a lesser punishment or to give no punishment at all, right? To completely do away with the punishment. Lessen the punishment or to completely do away with it. Now we think about it with parents, right? Most especially parents, right? If you're a good parent, you discipline your, your children um, from time to time, right? If you're a bad parent, you're gonna unleash them onto the world having never disciplined them. And then we're gonna have to deal with them. That was supposed to be a joke. Thank you for laughing. Apparently none of you discipline your children. Thank you very much. <laughs> so as a good, right, as a parent, you've got to discipline your children from time to time. And, but no doubt you love your kids and you don't always want to, I mean, they do stuff wrong, especially at certain ages. They do stuff wrong so often that you can't just keep, you know, punishing and punishing and punishing or you, you right, you really wear them out, so to speak. Right? It, could, it can do a certain amount of damage, and you also just kind of get tired. And so sometimes you want to be merciful. However, if the child doesn't admit their error or that they did something wrong, what did you do? I didn't do it. No, I know you did it. What did you do? I didn't do it. I saw you do it. I just need you to tell me you did it. I didn't do it, right? That's what children do. And if your children do it, didn't do it, say that, you probably said that. All right, we've all been in that situation. Maybe I can get out of this. Maybe if I, maybe if I just say I didn't do it, it wasn't me. I mean, in my case, it was always my sister, but I don't know about you. It wasn't me, it was my sister. And vice versa. Okay, so as a parent, if your child takes responsibility and says, I'm sorry, you know, it's, it's, it's hard not to be merciful. Right, especially if there are tears. I mean, unless you know that they're manipulating you, but you know, I mean, if you think it's honest, etc. I mean, your heart is moved to be compassionate and to be merciful. But if they're obstinate, you know they've done something wrong and they will not admit it. As a parent, you, you know you can't be merciful, right? You can only go so far. They're not really leaving it open, you know that what's best for your child is to receive the punishment that maybe you don't even want to give. But you know that to reform their character, they have to know that they were wrong. They have to feel some sort of punishment. Okay. So God with us desires for us to receive mercy, and he wants us to receive perfect mercy. But the first thing that we have to presuppose if God is merciful with us, it presupposes the existence of what? Sin. Right? There has to be sin for God to be merciful. If there's no sin, God doesn't have to be merciful. Just like a, uh, you know, a judge uh, you know, with a presumed criminal. Well, if, if the accused has been found innocent, and then the, the innocent person says, well, what's my punishment? The judge is going to say, go home. There's no offense. Right? But if there's an offense and the accused has been found guilty, the judge now has to determine a fitting punishment. So too with God. 
If he's going to be merciful, there's a presumption that sin exists. So if God presumes mercy, he also presumes sin. And one of the problems that I think, well, I think one of the difficulties in the age we live in is that we have to confront the reality of sin, that it does in fact exist, that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And this seems so simplistic to say, but it's denied by a huge percentage of our population. That God doesn't determine or doesn't hand on to us, as it were, what is right and wrong, the Ten Commandments, you know, preeminently. That God doesn't tell us what's right and wrong, that these are objective things, right? But that there's a huge segment of our population that says, no, it's really up to me what's right and wrong. I subjectively determine right and wrong. If that's true, then a person is never in need of mercy because they've made themselves God. As Christians, we have to reject this because it's not divine revelation. God has clearly said, there are certain things which are right and there are certain things which are wrong. And if you break my commandments, you have sinned. And I want to give you mercy, but to give you mercy, you have to be willing to take personal responsibility and say, I have sinned against you. Just like a child who, you know, threw the ball around the house the, the tenth time and knew he shouldn't and broke the lamp, right? I mean, it, it's the same kind of thing. If you're, gonna, if you're going to dole out mercy for the child who breaks the rules of the house, they have to admit their error and take responsibility. And so too with much more grave issues and adult issues. If we want God's mercy, we have, to be, we have to be honest about our sinfulness and take responsibility for our sinfulness. You know, the next thing we try to do, of course, is, as I said before, is we, we might say, well, yeah, it was wrong that I did it, but it's not my fault. It's not my fault I did it, right? It's, it's my mother's fault. It's my father's fault. I learned that from Freud. Right? It's always your... Your mother and father's fault, right? I'm conditioned this way, right? It was, it was the way I was raised. It's not my fault or it's somebody else's fault. That's the other way we, we try to get out of it. Yeah, well, what I did was wrong, but, but there's all these reasons that conditioned my choice. Now, on one hand, that's true. On one hand, there, there's truth to that. That does mitigate guilt. But within the messiness of life, there's still an element of personal responsibility that we have to get at. And we have to say, okay, where, does these, where do these other influences end? And where does my personal responsibility begin? And for whatever I'm personally responsible for, I need to confess that. And that's where I need the mercy. That's where I need God to forgive me. You know, God does not even ask us to endure the punishment. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating because his son endured all of the punishment for us. He truly just wants us to receive the mercy and forgiveness. But to do that, we have to, be, we have to own up to the guilt and the sin. This is sometimes the hardest thing to do. 
but it's really the point at which we start to become spiritually mature and sometimes psychologically mature, where we say, my life is my responsibility and my actions are my responsibility. And Lord, I need your mercy. Last point. It's a short one. Sometimes we can be awfully hard on other people. I include myself in this. I really mean we. we can, there's sort of a natural instinct to demand justice outright. Um, there's often a kind of a natural instinct to be very judgmental. That we want people to suffer the, the fitting punishment that they are due. But if we really look at our lives, the totality of our lives, and imagine ourselves before God, none of us truly desires the punishment we deserve. There's not a single one of us who would want to receive the punishment we deserve. It would be good for us to certainly start being more merciful with other people. And the Lord, our, own, our God, has said very clearly, and we, we pray this every time we pray the Our Father, that the degree to which we are merciful with other people, we want God to be merciful to us. And he has promised this. It behooves us, therefore, to be as merciful as possible, as forgiving as possible with everyone in our midst so that God may do the same with us. Please stand.